I don't know why that's not working. Darn it. All right, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Lost in the Long Box for Wednesday, October 21st. Um, I am your host, Randall. I have my co-host, Tommy. Say hello. Hello. Olivia. Hello. And Madman working the boards. Enos is on his way. Uh, before we get into this uh, tonight's episode, Olivia, are you in the store currently? I'm in the office, not the store. Okay. Um, the item you just mentioned, which don't say it out loud on the show here, did you bring that for show until this week by chance? No, we're still waiting for it to come back. Oh, okay. Make sure that you bring that in um, yep. when you do have it back, because we're going to definitely want to show that off. Um, Absolutely. And then maybe we can actually um, find a, a, a purchaser for it here. All right. So how was everyone's last weekend and or week? Pretty good. Pretty good. The only one th thing that happened so far this week that disturbed me is I found out there is a thing called General So's cauliflower. And I, I saw you post it on Facebook. That, that, it is. I, it, 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 I eat that, that all the time. Oh, that, that just should not be a thing. It should not exist. That is an abomination. abomination. That's delicious. So is it breaded like chicken, like the So's chicken in the same sauce and everything? It's tempura fried. So okay, kind of, gotcha. basically, it's like battered and fried. Um, I mean, it definitely doesn't taste like chicken, but... I love it. It's delicious. I also eat General So's tofu a lot. Oh, God, that is an abomination. I was willing to meet you halfway with the cauliflower. Yeah, there's just some things that shouldn't be, and those are two of them. No. I don't eat meat, so, I mean, I got to get my wings and my Chinese food somewhere. Gotcha. I got to have all those alternate protein sources. But but other than that, things been fine. I just didn't realize such an abomination existed. Well, it's kind of like, and I'm sorry for anyone out there who does this, even if it's someone on this show, pineapple does not belong on pizza. You're wrong. I agree with it, that. It, it does yeah, not, Tommy. See, no. No, that's... that's how, how did I know you would be the weirdo that would put <laughs> pineys on, pineapple on your pizza? See, I can't even say it. It doesn't belong. Randy, there's two types of people in this world. There's people that put pineapple on their people, pizza, and there's people that are wrong. See, the fact that you can't say it even wrong. tells you it's wrong. Ooh, You're not supposed to do wrong. it. If you can't say it, it means it doesn't belong. It is what about cauliflower crust pizza, then? That shouldn't exist. That's an abomination. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I agree with that, too. All righty. Let's go ahead. Um, so the fact that uh, you asked me about the new Wonder Woman means that's probably your news item, Olivia. I have a couple. So if you want to take that, go ahead. Well, I have a couple. So let's both take it, shall we? Um, okay. So DC's next major event, Future, Future Shock, is coming out in January. Remember, Tommy, I was telling you that that is the retold um, 5G thing they were doing. Yes, um, but apparently awesome. we're still getting all the new characters. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so there was some artwork they published uh, in tandem with the announcement showing us two Supermans, Clark Kent and John Kent. Okay, I'm okay with that. Um, mm-hmm. Two Batmans, Bruce Wayne, and one they didn't mention who um, the hints are is Lucius Fox. Mm, okay, I can probably deal with that. The two Wonder Women. I, I don't get this one. One is Diana Prince, and the other one is, say it, Olivia. Yara Floor. <laughs> Um, which I don't even know who that character is. Is she in the comics currently? I do not know that name. Yeah, I was going to say, is that a brand new character that they're making for this? Because I haven't heard of That's her. my understanding, is it's going to be a totally new character. Um, all we know at this point is that she's also an Amazonian, but okay. that's it. Okay. Um, but they also show um, that, I guess it's on the the, uh, the artwork we see, Harley Quinn, Red X, who I didn't, I didn't know who Red X was. Apparently, he's a version of Robin from an, another universe, right? Um, Catwoman, Swamp Thing. I'm excited about this one, Zantana. Uh, you can always put Zantana in anything I won't, you know, I won't mind. Apparently, I guess Justice League Dark is now going to play a major role in the new universe that comes out of this. Um, Aqualad, Grifter, uh, I don't care. I'm never going to like that character. Um, John Stewart, um, and this will make you happy, Tommy. Legion of Superheroes are apparently going to still play a major role as the Suicide Squad, but Suicide Squad, from the looks of it, are the Justice League that we know now. Yeah, I can do without Suicide Squad. So. so, but it's good the Legion's going to be in. Involved. Right. Mm-hmm. But and this is from what I understand, this is now going to come out of directly out of the uh, the Death Knight's Metal story they're doing. So. I mean, if it's anything like Death Knights, it'll be good. So, I'm, you know, I'm still excited about it. It's always weird to have new characters once you're so used to the old classic ones. It's, it's fine if it's going to it's, it's fine if it's going to be like a limited series thing and it's not going to be the new face of DC. Because mm-hmm. they've proven with uh, New 52, that's just not going to fly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I also know your other news item. Go ahead with that one. Which one of us, me? Yes, Sorry. you. Um, so the big ones for next week, Free Jokers number three is coming out on Tuesday. And we also have the Spawn 311 tribute to Chaz Mc- Chadwick Boseman, excuse me, that's coming out the following Wednesday, too. So those are two really significant books that are coming out next week that you won't want to miss. Oh, I thought it was going to be your news about Miss Marvel. That's what I, That was mine. Oh, that was oh, yours? Sorry. <laughs> so Here we go. But I will go with that if right now, if you'd like. Um, so I had two pieces of news. The, the first one, you know, since Randy Randy bought up, uh, Miss Marvel will be coming to an end with issue eighteen in January. Um, from what I was reading about it, it says it will be. It said it said in there that it'll be end for the creative team. And I'm sorry, I'm not even trying to pronounce the names because I will just butcher them. It, it was yeah. But so I would not doubt to see a few months later a new Miss Marvel number one with about forty-seven new covers. <laughs> I'm sure. That, yeah, because I'm sure that'll happen. But but yeah, Miss Marvel coming to an end with with number eighteen. There, but you know it's it's not gonna it's not gonna take. You know be what? A new Miss Marvel comic by the end of the year. In this day and age, we're just not even going to say it's coming to an end anymore. We're just sort of saying the current run is ending at. The current run is ending at 18, because, and the reboot will be in a few months. Right, with, because with, we in, we announced that Iron Man was coming to an end just so that two months later they could announce Iron Man 2020. Right, um, and you know, so, so the current one is coming to an end from what we know. We don't know when the re- reboot's coming, but we're speculating that it will happen with a, a, probably about 50 to 75 covers for number one. So <laughs> be on the lookout for that, I'm sure. That Notice every time, Olivia, that he mentions alternate covers, he ups the number. 
<laughs> well, because Marvel ups their number every time. <laughs> they do. They do. I'll give them that. I mean, it, usually I would say maybe five. Maybe five. That seems like a good fair amount. But look at Amazing Spider-Man 49 and 50 that just came out. Right. There was literally 15 covers if you count the well, incentive and store variants. That's and nothing. 33 Alex Ross timelines variants. I'm uh, waiting. I'm waiting for them to come out with a book and hit 100 covers for one book. They, I, I, I they're going to do it, and I know they can. Mm-hmm. I have faith in them. I have faith in you, Marvel. 100 covers. For well, one my book. hang on now. Um, let's not bash Marvel too bad because DC beat them to it. Remember when they did Justice League America a couple years ago and there was at least 52 variant covers? Every yeah. state in Puerto Rico and so. But, you know, but, but, I, but, you know, I'm not trying to stick up for them about that because I do hate, you know, alternate covers. But at least there was a theme to that, you know? One for <laughs> each state and everything. At least, right. you know, there was a theme to it, you know? Um. Well, I mean, I guess you could argue that. So Alex Ross's timeless variant, it was a giant mural that Marvel commissioned for him to paint in their new main office. So it kind of had an original purpose. And of course, they have to like use, you know, they're paying him to paint this giant mural. Of course, they're going to try to make money off of it some other way. What? uh, So which one, which book is going to have the She-Hulk cover? Because I like that one. That was Immortal She-Hulk 1. It came out a couple weeks ago. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I don't need a third copy of that then. Maybe I'll find one cheap on eBay. Wait for the My price. other piece of, of news was that Marvel Unlimited is changing their release date for new books. It used to be new books were six months behind. Going mm-hmm. forward, they're only going to be three months behind. That's actually a good move. Um, but it begs, Marvel, a, yeah. it, it begs a question, though. I don't know when they changed it. But remember, and Olivia probably remembers this, when DC had same day and date digital along with the new books. You remember those? Well, Marvel does it too if you buy them. This is just you know what what shows up on their unlimited. Mm, yeah. Okay, gotcha. yeah, you can buy them through like Comicsology and stuff like that. You know, the same. So day. they still do that. Oh, yeah, that's right. That little stupid code stamp in the book that no one wants to take off because it now yeah. lowers the value of the oh, book. Oh yeah, I, you don't remove the code. Who would? Do Why don't that? we just cut the coupon out too and send away for right. grit? I mean, what, what's um, next? Removing a Marvel value stamp from a Hulk one eighty one? I mean, what? what <laughs> who is it that actually found that? Read? What's that? Someone actually found that book, right? A Hulk one you one with the value stamp cut out? Oh, yeah, there's several of them. <laughs> yeah. Anytime you see a CGC-graded green label, it's because the value stamp's gone. Right. Um, so other news I have, too. Um, remember back when COVID hit and Diamond quit shipping and they were only paying all their distributors, like, you know, a, a third of what they owed them or half of what they owed them? Um, mm-hmm. DC changed their shipping, and they went with... Um, UCS and Lunar Distribution, remember that? And now we get books on Tuesday. So DC has announced that they are now going to be shipping exclusively only with Lunar Distribution, and UCS is out of there starting January 1st. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm sure, as from the retailer side, Olivia wants to find somebody and throttle them because not only are they now getting rid of the other distributor, you now have to have a weekly minimum of $125 or $500 a month minimum shipment. Um, that sounds like a lot, um, but depending on how many books you're ordering, that's probably not that hard to meet. But what if you have one of those months where you have the fifth month and DC doesn't put out anything? It's, it's weird to see what they're going to do with it. Um, it was definitely a surprise and something fun to wake up to the other day, especially since we just got used to the new distributor schedule. Um, basically, we have two new book days a week now, which has been a huge 
ordeal to go through. Um, not that I'm complaining and, you know, in my heart, new book day will always be Wednesday, but, you know, um, we had already kind of signed up with Lunar, so it's not going to be a huge change. Just it'll be interesting to see what's going on. Right. Uh, it was definitely not expected by a lot of distrib- or by a lot of retailers from what I've been reading. Well, I, and it's funny what you said about them moving their distribution date to Tuesday. Um, and let's face it, that was DC's pitch to, to get in before Marvel and try and get your dollar before Marvel could, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because think about it. If you go into the store on Tuesday, you pick up your DCs. Well, the new Marvels aren't out, but maybe that new DC book you've been thinking about him and Hans on the shelf, hey, I can go ahead and give this a try. And then Wednesday comes and you go, oh, crap, that's right. Marvel books came out today and now I don't have any money. Um, but I went into um, your store a couple of weeks ago, Olivia, for something else. And when I was there, your dad handed me my DC books. And I went, oh, that's not what I was here for. But OK, because, <laughs> you know, I forgot Tuesday's new book day for DC an interesting adjustment after how many years 25 plus years of diamond being the only one shipping out both companies well yeah i mean you know, to get used practically to. as far back as i can remember you know wednesday is new comic book day you know it's right absolutely well see i now see here's the thing though i remember back when it was both diamond capital um because it was one or the other and you got them, uh, retailers tended to get from both companies, even though they both carried Marvel and DC. It, it was commonplace for them. Well, Diamond was sold out. I can get a back order from Capital on it and have it. Um, and then mm-hmm. Diamond bought them, right? And put an end to that. Well, we've kind of needed two distributors for, for, for a while now. I mean, it's like you said, because of things like that. I mean, it's, it's probably healthy to have more than one distributor. But now. No, I definitely agree with that. I do. It's nice to have some sort of backup option. Um, But of course, you know, they're still only exclusive with Marvel. So at least for DC and some of the other um, independent publishers, we can get alternative methods of getting stuff in. Um, But Marvel, we're kind of stuck with Diamond. And see, that is a very good point. I was just going to say, let's suppose you are someone like Boom or or Dynamite or who aren't obviously going to be turned down by Capital, or not Capital, Diamond. But suppose you're one of the smaller companies, and Diamond, from what I understand, has some very strict guidelines on what they'll solicit and carry now. Well, I'm, you know, upstart company, and I have this new book I want to sell, and Diamond's like, sorry, we've got too many of that genre already. We're not going to carry you. I can take it right to Lunar and say, hey, can I work out distribution with you? And, yep. and DC doesn't own them, but I'm sure they have some say no matter what they carry. But at the same time, Lunar's like, oh, there's another company who wants to distribute to us? Sure, we'll take them. Yeah, so, I mean it, it. It's definitely a you know an upside for the for the smaller publishers, which is a good thing. I would say if Lunar is still distributing DC by this time next year, you're going to see a lot of the smaller independent companies distribute them as well. They might even steal some of the business away from Diamond if they offer them some incentives. Yeah, so. which is not a bad thing. So we will have to see. All right, um, I don't know where Enos is. He he's later than late. Um, so let's go to show and tell. I'm going to let you guys go first. All right. Well, I'll go, I guess I'll go first. Tonight, since our we'll go goes a little bit with our subject, I bought this from your dad many, many years ago. And I had it graded myself. It wasn't already graded, but many, many years ago I bought this. It's uh, oh, wow. X-Men number 10. First appearance, Silver Age appearance of Kazar. Well, Very cool. You should have told me you had that. I made you go last because you just won. I don't even want to show what we have now. Okay. Why, why is it 4.5? Okay. 
Uh, because it's, uh, yeah, Tommy, why did the greater notes say? Why is it a 4.5? Uh, it's beat to hell. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's the official? That's the official grade on the back. Beat to hell! <laughs> I, don't, I, don't I, I got this graded so long ago, I, I, I don't even know if greater notes were a thing. This was, you know, many, many moons ago. Um, this is back when um, when Ed had a store downtown on Sophia Street. So, oh wow, um, okay, yeah. So that this is you know many many moons ago. I, you I, I you might have been in Dopper still, Olivia. No. Uh, so is that the four point five that we compared to my Miss Marvel? That is also a four point five that was signed by Remy. Right, I'd like to compare them. And we were like, what is the difference? Because remember, mine looks so much better than that, and they were both a four point five, and we were yes, like. That- oh, that that is exactly correct. You have seen, yeah, you've seen this one live, and we compared it to your, oh, to okay. your Marvel. Yeah. All right. So, so you so you've seen what it looks like, and you can you've seen that it's not anywhere near as nice as that Miss Marvel number one that you have. Yeah. Right. All right, Olivia, what do you got? Watch um, now. I have the sort of first appearance of Gambit in X Men Annual fourteen. Nice. Let's see if you can see it a little bit better. How's it sort of first appearance? It is a controversy, just like X Men 181 or 180, or I'm sorry, not Hulk X-Men 181, 180. Hulk 181 well, or 180. A, you see a charged um, fl- playing card flying through the air or, or, or Spider Man 252 versus uh, Secret yeah. Wars 8. I guess he actually appears, from my understanding, I have not read that one, but he actually appears on several pages and speaks in this one. And that's where the controversy comes from because they're saying it's a cameo, even though he appears on like four pages or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And then I don't s- technically think it's a cameo, but well, I don't own that one. I do own two sixty six, so that is a cameo, and mine is the first appearance. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. I guess the- if I buy that one, then it's fine, whatever. But you know, for right now, two sixty six is the first appearance of Gambit because that's the one I own. Well, and that's kind of the industry standard, and it's definitely the more valuable one too to have. So, yeah. well, that's just like Hulk one eighty. Isn't Wolverine like on the last panel of the, of issue one eighty? But his first full appearance is one eighty one. I'm sorry, right. if you see him in that, the panel um, of the book, that is the appearance. Right. He, he yeah. said he's on the the whole final panel, complete in costume, and he speaks. Right. So that's why people are are saying that that should be his first appearance. Well, I guess we need to. So I guess dis- it's just kind of like the industry standard, whatever it's set. Well, we need to establish the parameters. It's like, what's the minimum? For a cameo, and what's the maximum for a cameo to be a feature? Mm-hmm. Right, you know, <laughs> four pages. You know, that's a that's quite a that's quite a cameo. <laughs> right, yeah, that's, the that's... in the Wolverine one, I don't have a dog in that fight because I don't own either one. But in the Gambit one, it's two sixty six because I own that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I have a... there you go. All right, so when it's also something to do with the publishing date because they came out right around the same time. So I think. One was written before the other one, but the other one was published before the one that right. was written first. Yes. My understanding, the one that you have came out first, but it wasn't supposed to. 266 yes. was supposed to come out first, and then something happened causing that one to come out first. So I think that's part of it, too, is, is that you know 266 was supposed to be first, and then that annual came out. So the way you resolve this, listeners, is you buy both of them and you be done with it. Ta-da! Yeah, there's that. There right. we go. Madman, give me some Comic Cam. Give me some Comic Cam. Comic Cam! Yeah, these are mine. Yes, these they are. These are the ones I brought in from the early 90s. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I never liked the X-Men. I never really got into it, especially in the early 90s. And I picked up these books 
Was that 283? Yep. Is the comet count on? Because I don't see anything. Is that the first bishop or the second bishop? I have no idea. I think it might be the first. Either the first or the second one. Yeah. And uh, you guys can buy these comics from me if you want. I could use the money. (laughs) But uh, I've never been into it. But I've... Back in the early 90s, it was so hot, like everyone was buying these things and talking about them, that I figured I had to get them. Yeah, and I was right. going to read them sooner or later, but I, you know, I never opened that bag. So, and 294. So, I, what, 283 and 294. Yep. Those are both bishop appearances, right? I, uh, I don't know. I think, I think bishop was in the executioner song thing, but... Gotcha. I think he appeared in it, too. Now, the previous one, it's e- that's either his first or his second appearance. I'm not sure exactly which one off the top of my head. Yeah, I remember it was... First or second appearance on that bishop one because uh, <clears throat> that's why that's why I bought it. I mean, I, I like I said, I didn't read X Men at all. I wasn't really into it, but uh, word of mouth, I, and I, you're like, oh, here's that book everybody's talking about. Yeah, and then so we got your two ninety four up there, right? Yep. And then I brought in my X Men forty nine. Oh, refocus camera. Uh, and for the record, it's his second appearance. I have that book too. Thank you, you Tommy. It, yeah, I, I, I have that book right, right the there, Randy. Mine, mine, I don't think mine's in quite as good a shape as yours. Mine's kind of beat to hell, but I have it. Am I bringing it to me or away from me? Away from other me. way, other way. Aha! There we go. All right. Camera yeah, keeps focused. This, this is a good one right here. This is the first Polaris. Right. Well, actually, I think 50 is the first Polaris because she's bright and shiny in her green on the cover. But, yes, this is actually built as first Polaris. So yeah, I bought that off of X, uh, uh, off of Facebook Marketplace. I bought that's in really good condition. It looks like I bought this, and that's a Storenko cover too, right? Isn't it his? I believe that's Storenko cover. I can't even remember where I bought this. It, it was so, at a con. I'll tell you that. So the funny story about me when I bought that one, the guy advertised having that one for sale. It was like three X Men comics. I, I don't remember what it was, but I felt like it's a pretty good price, so I went that one. But that's not the one I wanted. He had a. a X-Men 2. Now, it was not in great shape, but he had an X-Men 2 for $100. And that's what I messaged him about. It's like, do you still have this? And he said, no, I sold it. I was like, damn. <laughs> well, I remember, I, I want to say that the gentleman that I see at Dragon Con all the time that, that selling my comics is the one that had this one. And it was on the wall when I was looking at everything else, and he had it up there. And I want that X-Men 49. He goes, oh, so you don't usually buy X-Men. I'm like, I'm buying that one. <laughs> yeah, it's a, that's a pretty book. That's much nicer than mine. All right, <laughs> excuse me. So in case you people haven't figured out, um, our topic tonight is on the X-Men, Ta-da-ta-da! because they are kind of uh, very influential in comics, both comic books and Marvel themselves. Um, I was actually going to have Enos lead off on this because this was his topic that he said we should be covering, but um, he is late. So, <coughs> excuse me, I'll go ahead and touch this off. So, 1963, Marvel is in full swing. Um, They are the the company to be working for and reading. You've got Spider-Man, you've got the Hulk and Thor and Iron Man, um, and let's not forget FF. So, they wanted to get another group of superheroes, um, especially since DC still had Justice League that was doing really good, and um, team books was proven to be the thing. You know, everybody liked the solo heroes, but the team books were it. Um, So... He was going to make another super team, but he straight up admitted that he was tired of trying to think of origins for them. And he couldn't have everybody be exposed to gamma rays. <laughs> so he said, you know what? I'll just, they were born with it. They're mutants. So he fully admits that he cheated on the origin. <laughs> well, and I got to say, you know, there's nothing wrong with being born with your powers. Right. You yeah. know, I mean, 
there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, like, like, like you said, not everybody can be exposed to radiation or, or, you know, cosmic rays or being bit by a radioactive spider. I mean, you know, right. That's, you know, the next step, you know, just them being the next step of human evolution that there's nothing wrong with that. Well, the funny thing is now he also says, um, I think this was a, in an interview in wizard that he originally was going to name the book, the mutants. And uh, the publisher at the time, Martin Goodman, said, what's a mutant? No, he turned the name down and said, we're not going to name the book Mutants because no one knows what that is. Which yeah, is- I, I agree, too, because, you know, also years later, when I think of mutants, you know, I, I don't necessarily, I mean, of course, I think of the X-Men because I'm a lifelong comic book fan. But, you know, I always I also think of, like, you know, grotesque alien creatures. Well, and, and I will say you have to remember the stigma of mutants from all the science fiction movies for a good 15 years before this. Right. Um, they were horrible and deformed, and, and there's Enos coming in the front door and messing me all up. Um, so that's when he went ahead and, and named them the X-Men. Now, what was funny, and I didn't know this, I guess I'd have to read X-Men number one um, and find a, an omnibus for it. Professor Xavier um, said the reason he called them the X-Men was because the X was for extra power. I'm thinking, really? Wow, that is just lame, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, it, it's, wow. It was, it was pretty bad. But now I think now it stands for the X gene, you know, that gives them their extra power. Right. Hey, Enos, welcome to the show, man. Hey, what's up, man? My um, apologies, brother. So we just started talking about the X-Men. Um, we talked about the origin in 63 and how Stan Lee freely admitted that he was lazy and got tired of trying to create, uh, think of creative uh, origins, that I was just going to make the mutants that are born with it. Right. <laughs> uh, anything you want to add into their origin? Because one of the things that I want to touch on uh, after we get past the main origin here is the fact that... Um, well, we'll talk about it uh, in a second here. So we obviously get the, these great characters, Cyclops, Marvel Girl, Beast, Angel, and Iceman. I didn't know for the longest time that they didn't introduce any new characters in that lineup for years. For years, yeah. years, yeah. and years. Yeah, it was quite some time before the, the next ones came in. That, um, the, it was the original lineup, and you know, the original lineup is great. And I don't care what anyone says. I like the matching outfits. Right. Well, and, and look, yeah. again, the two people that they bring in eventually is Havoc and uh, Polaris. Those are only the two, num- two, num- two new members they get. Bleh, bleh. Right, and of course, Havoc is Cyclops' brother. Right. Yeah. But, uh, Enos, what do you got on, on X-Men and Origin? Well, and- just the pretty much, basically, uh, they were just different than everyone else. And, every, and like, one of the things that I was not um, aware of is that um, I didn't realize until I read Marvel Age when I was in San, stationed in San Antonio, that Angel's wings were attached to him. Oh, you thought they were like a harness, like Hawkman? The, 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 no, but the, it was kind of like I—I I thought they were like something that um, he, he either like he grew them, or, or else he could you make a remember when he did the Hawkman where he could change, um, go with or without his wings, they could right. at, at will. I thought it was something like that, but I was like, wow, that when when I saw how. He had to walk around with that thing wrapped around them and everything. I'm, and like, yeah. And, and that and thing, I, mean, I was like, wow, that's got to be uncomfortable. Absolutely. See, here's my problem with that. Always, always my problem. He fold his wings in and he'd bind and he put a trench coat on them. Why did he not look like Quasimodo when he was wearing a trench coat? Yeah. yeah know, right? Exactly. And, and you're folding them up, like, like Ina said, that, that, that's still got that, that had to hurt laying them oh yeah flat back against yourself like that they're, yeah they're still bone. i mean they, they might be light bones but there's still bones in those wings right well plus the wingspan on a human would have to be like 12 feet or something right at minimum yeah you know, and, exactly 
Because we all saw how big the wings were on Angel in the uh, uh, X Men, what the 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 third X Men movie, which was lame, but still the wingspan on was like amazing, and it makes you wonder how in the world was he able to get around and not draw attention to himself with 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 those wings? Because he he like like Randy said, he would look like Quasimodo if he didn't have if if by getting them folded in like that. Well, well, and the thing about it too, when you think about Angel, I mean. How come he didn't break more bones? Not just his wings, but overall. Because, I mean, let's face it. Birds have, what, hollow bones. So wouldn't it stand to reason that he would... Exactly. Right. Also you would, have to have hollow bones? And you you fly? would... Well, they've, it's been scientifically proven that part of the reason birds are able to fly is because their bones are hollow um, right. all over, not just their wings. Right. right. So, you know, why isn't every time he got into a fight with a supervillain, he didn't break his arm, at least? I mean, you know... Well, our bones are hollow. They're just filled with marrow. Right. True. Right. Yeah. And 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 he would be more formidable in a fight because just it's just like if he's for swooping down to hit someone, it's just like um like a plane. He's just going boom. with all that weight is coming at you. So he he could be pretty formidable. But I like what they did with him later. But I guess we'll talk about that as we go along. Uh, and you know there was another member I forgot about that they added mimic mimic. Um, I don't even remember him. Apparently, he dies very early on, or dies in like or, or, or we're led to believe he dies. Right. He had he had a very unique look. He had a big M on his um costume. He had the beast feet. He had Cyclops's goggles for his eyes, and he had the big hand. And he also had beast big hands. And he also and he had the angel's wings. And he was able to duplicate the um, abilities of all the other X Men. A low rent super scroll. I, yep. I was just saying, so he was a super scroll for the X Men. Yeah, gotcha. And if I'm not mistaken, didn't he make the make the scene before Super Scroll? I um, believe he did. I don't know. It depends on. I think he did. I, so. I would say so because that when X Men came out, Fantastic Four was still in like in a dozen issues. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm thinking he was around before Super Scroll. Yeah, probably. So, but like you said, you know, ultimately he was kind of a low rent. So a lot of people don't realize this. You know, for the longest longest time, I didn't know this because you just you didn't notice until you actually went and read it. X Men, the original X Men title was actually cut. 66 was the last original issue, right. and then Marvel kept printing them. They just printed reprints. Yeah. Yeah. So issues 67 through 93 were reprints of the earlier issues. And they came to their senses and, you know, and came out with X-Men Classic. That, that, yeah. This is the thing that always kills me about that, that I, never, that I never quite understood, and I don't know if there's anyone around that, can really, that could even possibly explain it. Why did you go that long reprinting this book? I mean, if, you're, if, you're, if the book's not doing well, why didn't you just... I suppose they got away with it, you know. Oh, they got away with it, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, for, for like five years, it was nothing but reprints of earlier books. And I mean, obviously, these reprints must have been selling. I would doing it. I would really like to, to know the rationale behind that, because back then, when a book didn't sell well, you either cut it outright, or you took the stories that you had left for them, and they got put into an anthology book. Right. You didn't, so, yeah, so I... It, it's, it's one of those things I've always wondered, you know, why did this go into reprints for so long? Because, I mean, because both Marvel and DC from the 60s and the 70s, you can find hundreds of examples of a character whose title got cut, but they showed up in other anthology titles or team books. Right. Um, it was the, the 60s. They so, didn't know what to write. <laughs> right. I mean, was the story really that bad that they ended up just having to cut it and then went back to like the first issues? 
I mean, it makes sense from like a marketing standpoint, right. I guess, to go back and sell what worked originally. But I, I don't know. That's hard to. Obviously, so, I didn't grow up reading those stories. It's certainly so unique among read titles. Some, some of the reprints of the early X Men books, they are pretty bad. Right. Now I that, mean, it's campy. that's more so by today's standards. <laughs> maybe not by the the standards of the time that they were that they came out, but they they don't age well. Well, it's, no, as lame, but but for as lame as they were, they did stand the test of time, and it, and I think it wound up. Whether oh, I don't know if you guys thought about this, but doing that that laid the groundwork for the X Men to become the cult characters that they are, because people were jumping on with these. Um, with those reprints who haven't read by word of mouth, and then when they come out with, then when they j- had Roy Thomas and Neil Adams jump on, I mean, come on board and bring out those newer stories, then you had those fans there, and then that was building and building, and then once um, Chris Claremont got a hold of it, and uh, Dave, yeah. Chris Claremont and Dave Cochran with Giant Size X-Men number one, and introducing the characters we know now, it was all over it was right. all over from there. And that's, and that's exactly where I was going. This, the book really takes off with those two books, obviously, Giant Size X-Men number one and X-Men 94. Right. Um, so I, I'd, like to, I'd like to say Giant Size X-Men one was not Claremont. It was Len Wein. Right. Len Wein, Len, that's Len, right. Len, it yes. was. Yeah, Claire, Claremont did not, come, did not come on in Giant Size one. That's right. He did not. That was Len Wein. You're right. But Claremont, came on, Claremont came on in 94. But also, I guess back in those days, you know, there wasn't uh, a whole lot of back issues laying around. Right. So you couldn't right. get caught up and stuff. So I guess that, that's how they were able to get away with it. Well, and here was the thing, too. You had um, very few and far between back issue dealers, but there was no back issue market, really. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, comics weren't all that collectible. No one really. Yeah. Well, and I tell you why Giant Size X Men, number one. And then X-Men 94 was such a, a great seller and why it revitalized um, that series. Because Giant Size X-Men number one outright establishes that all his X-Men have been kidnapped and Professor X needs a new team to go get them. Right. And you just hadn't done that in comics. Right. Um, if they were in peril, someone always managed to come save them, but it was always a member of the team that hadn't been captured or they right. found a way to get out of it. This was the first time you actually saw the founder saying, well, I need, an, I need more guys that will get them now. Right. I need to recruit some more people. Right. And it was like, and that was a way of introducing new blood, but yet have, have the core fan favorites at the same time. Right. Right. And, and I mean, a big thing about X-Men 1, 2, like you said, is introducing the new blood. The new blood was a very, very diverse cast. I mean, you had, you had someone from Ireland, someone from Japan, Canada, Kenya, Germany, the Soviet Union, a na- you know, Native American. I mean, yeah, it's it, it, real it, Rainbow it, Six. Really, yep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, so so that was a that was a huge a huge step in you know and diversifying their their superheroes. Well, I think that that's important when it comes to the X Men in specific. I don't know if you spoke about this already, but um, uh, uh diversity was uh like kind of uh pushed. I mean, you got to understand, you know, when all this came out in the '60s, you know, the civil rights movement was going on and so forth. Good. And so um, the the mutants they they had no choice in the matter about being a mutant, and frequently frequently it came with uh, deformations, right? Like beast feet and so forth, like prehensile feet and stuff like that. And you can always argue, say, like Spider Man. If you didn't go to school that day, you wouldn't have been bit by the spider, and you never would have been Spider Man. You know, depending upon how many what if comics you read, right? You know, like he he did he wasn't necessarily destined to become Spider Man, right? But because of your genes and because of this mutation, 
you had no choice about becoming this quote unquote monster. Right. And that's how the X-Men were treated were as undesirables in society. And so in, in many ways they became a metaphor for things like the civil rights movement, for exactly. people who were um, uh, minorities, people who were um, uh, alternate sexualities and so forth. Right. It's like, they felt that kind of persecution. They felt that it's because I have this special power with inside me. Right. And, and that's, that's, that's the crux of the, of the superhero mythos. Right. And because and I was about to go right into that. And, they said, and one of the things that was definitely one of the solidifying points of the X-Men's appeal is the fact that, as you said, Madman, this was during the time of a very, this came out at a very turbulent time. And there were a lot of that turbulence still passed through after 1968, some oh, yeah. of that was still going on in a lot of cities. We just didn't hear about it. And, uh, and um, they have often said that um, Charles Xavier and Eric Lencher, who is Magneto, yep. who are, are metaphors for Dr. King and Malcolm X. Because they well, both want- Didn't Kirby flat out say that in an interview? I think, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah he did that. say that. If you ever, I, I can't remember which one, but I, if I remember correctly, one of them flat out said that in an interview. That was their plan. Well, it's an interesting metaphor. You know, Professor X is Dr. King and uh, right. Magneto is uh, Malcolm X. Right. Yeah. The, and, reason, and, the reason that they did that is they couldn't deal with, you know, because of the comics code, they couldn't really deal with racism. Exactly. Birth. Right. Yeah, it had so to they, be a metaphor. It had right. to be a metaphor. And, and like, and, 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 and you can't, couldn't think of two more perfect characters to be the um, fictional um, counterpart because Charles Xavier is all about wanting to protect the Homo sapiens and and live with them while um, <laughs> Lencher was about yeah, mutant kind yeah. and eradicate anyone who was who was not Homo superior well, by any means necessary. Well, also too, not only that, um, but look at. Um, who's the most powerful member of that team really is. Traditionally, when you look at the books before that, the Avengers, Fantastic Four, what mm-hmm. have you, the most powerful member was, was a male. Right. There is no argument whatsoever that the most powerful member of X-Men was Jean Grey. Jean Grey, no doubt. No doubt. But she was a sleeper. You didn't find right. out until much later. Right. And, and she was the one that caught everybody by surprise because everyone just thought that she just had these abilities and no one really knew the true powerhouse that she was. Right until Claremont got a hold uh, of her. Until Claremont was, got a hold of her. Yeah, she she was just she was honestly until Claremont got a hold of her. If you read those early issues, she's kind of just another member of the team. Right. But but then you know when he gets a hold of her and, and fleshes her out, you find out what a you know what but, a badass she really is. But also when the Dark Phoenix saga started coming around, what a oh, what a great story when that, that started is too. coming around. That was in the seventies when women's lib was a more pressing issue than like uh, civil rights for African Americans. Yeah, because Jean is an Omega-level mutant. She's one of the most powerful people in Marvel Comics. I mean, hands down. Yeah. No reading I mean, comics on the show. No, I'm just putting... <laughs> <laughs> well, I was trying to see if it had an issue date, but oh, okay. this is definitely my favorite storyline, and, and I'll admit it's the only X-Men storyline I've ever sat down and read from start to finish, excluding the new stuff that comes out. And, and which storyline is it? Um, dark, dark Phoenix. Dark, dark yeah. Well, I have a couple, and since we're since we're since you brought that up, we are going to talk about some of their their better stories. Obviously, okay, um, the Dark Phoenix saga is one of them, but I think Enos has one here that I'm actually thinking of. No, okay, not the What's one. Um, so you guys go ahead and talk about a couple of your best stories um, for them, and I'll tell you one that I really love that a lot of people are just overlooking all the time now. 
Who well, wants to go I'll first? Go, I'll go talk first. I mean, probably my favorite, you know, is the Days of Futures Past. Absolutely, oh, yeah. Okay, that, that's 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 a that's a personal favorite. I mean, it was only a two issues. It was only two issues. You know, it was um, you know Kitty Pride coming back from the future where all mutants have either been eradicated or herded into camps. Um, in order, she was coming back in time to save Senator Kelly from being assassinated in order to prevent that that future. It was a really great storyline. You got to see the you know, the dystopian future where everyone lived. You were divided up into three different groups. There was there was normal humans, were who were basically allowed to do whatever they want. There was humans that weren't mutants but had the gene to make to to have mutant babies, and they were forbidden to breed. And then there, of course, was the few remaining mutants in the United States that were herded into the to their camp. Which the was, world was on the verge of a nuclear war because because of America. And yeah, you'd see these uh, these. Uh, echoes of things that happened in in our in the real world, you know that kind of uh, like fascist regi- regime, you know that kind of oppressive government kind of thing. Uh, when it comes to an issue like superhero registration, and I mean that even comes up in the Civil War uh, right. series. Um, yeah. When you talk about like uh, try you know putting a number on somebody, that's they 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 did direct metaphors in the X Men oh, yeah. movies when it All the talks time. about like oh, yeah. uh, what happened to the to the Jews during the uh, the Holocaust. Which is which goes back to one of my f- favorite scenes ever out of all the movies is in the very first X Men when we see Lencher and his family being taken oh, yeah. to the yeah. concentration camp yeah. and he's reaching for his parents and he bends the gate. Yeah, that was, that was a killer. That was, that was a killer opening scene. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. the thing about Magneto. As time goes on and you learn more about him, you learn what he went through. You can't really side completely side with him because he's a he's because a murderer. It, yeah, but. You understand how he got to where you have more compassion for him. Well, and here's the thing. He's doing what he's doing. He's doing it because he feels he's right. And he feels there's no other way to to help himself and his people than this. And and this bleeds. Go ahead, Olivia. Go ahead real quick. Well, in his mind, he's not doing it maliciously at all. I mean, he is sort of doing it as some sort of vengeance, but he's seeking justice and protection for his own kind. So that's kind of the justification there. It's not just outright he wants to kill everybody just for the sake of killing people. It's protection. So well, and I think he was designed to be a compassionate character. And this is marks the is the mark of a great villain when you have a yes. villain who he himself doesn't think he's the villain. Well, remember, mm-hmm. Magneto is the classic example of walks off and carry a big stick. Yeah. When you no longer listen to me, I thwack you with my stick, basically. Uh, I I wouldn't put it quite that way. I would but, say that um, I would say that Magneto is unique and a very important villain because he is one of the very first villains that you can kind of understand his motivations. Well, remember, um, you know, bad this, guys up to that point had been bad guys just because of the bad guys. And yeah. this and this yeah. leads right into one of the really great X Men stories that I was thinking about. X-Men 200, The Trial of Magneto. Oh, yeah. Um, because remember, they set this up for a good 40, 50 issues before we even get there, where you start to see them softening the hard edges of mm-hmm. it. And by the time you get to X-Men 200, and he's on trial, all the charges are actually dropped, and he becomes the leader of the X-Men. Yeah. yeah. Um, which Chris Claremont himself even said that when they reversed that made him the bad guy again, he was livid, you know? So right. Th- th- this character took a giant leap forward, and then yeah. he just rolled him back two steps. Right. Right. And, you know, it, it's one of those things, you know, that the man, even though he had done some horrible things, he had to at least at some point have to have some redeeming qualities because him and Charles were friends. Friends. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
it wasn't you know just a, a marriage convenience. They were legit friends. Well, remember, there's there's that other great scene in the first Sex Men when they're meeting and he's like rolling around in there. Whatever are you looking for? Yeah, I'm looking for hope. I will give you hope. Yep. And all I ask is that you don't get in my way. So X Men 200, another great um, X Men story. Um, Olivia, what's um, you did Days of Future Past or uh, the the I Dark did, Phoenix? I did Phoenix Saga. Well, let's talk on a on a Phoenix Saga because that is one of the first big times too where we see a major character get more than just a wrist slap. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> and I mean the scope of of this of that saga. I mean involving you know, inter, inter, intergalactic empires right. and so forth. It's amazing. Well, the great thing I really loved about that story was this was, I think, probably the first time that we see that there is a huge um, intergalactic force in the Shi'ar Empire that shows up to yeah. Earth and says, we have a problem. You yeah. have a fugitive that's been destroying planets. I'm like, oh, that can't be. Oh, wait, be. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Us? Us? Yeah, <laughs> yeah and you find, you find out just how powerful Gene really is. Right. Um, but I think it was also the first time in like a classic superhero story that we felt loss. It was the most tragic ending yeah. to like a lovable character. And they came, despite the fact it was across dozens of issues, it did kind of come suddenly too. Well, um, and you know what else is great about, great about that story? And I'm sure you probably felt it when you was reading it. When you see Jean go out, like in the middle of the night, and she wipes out that entire planet, before anything even happens after that with the Shi'ar Empire and the whole combat and the trial, you just know right then and there, oh, this is not going to be good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is not going to end well. And it was, right. and I remember, I didn't jump on the X-Men until like 81, but I was reading um, Captain America when Byrne was on it. And they would did a letter column. Not a, they had the bullpen bulletins and stuff like that. And they were talking about how people were actually sending flowers to Marvel because Gene <laughs> had, was dead. Right. And I'm like, wow. Now that's some serious love for a character right Absolutely. there. That right, that you know, folks were, 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 was was that in on a storyline that they felt some sort. Of, I think the word I'm looking for is connected. Well, when to the point where they would do something like that. So I don't know if you have it in your, if other two of you have it in your book. Do you have any type of an afterword from Jim Shooter about Gene's death in that? How that was originally not going to be the ending? So, I don't. Um, and I don't know if you have it in yours. I've, I've read it somewhere. Originally, Gene was not going to die. She was going to get like um, the mutant portion of her brain lobotomized so she would be powerless. And in fact, I've even seen a special um, that shows the alternate opening to X-Men 139 after the, uh, the whole trial thing. Um, because remember... The, this the, is it here, Randy. Because the, the opening is where Scott's looking at her grave, right? And then the alternate opening was like her standing there and, and Scott holding her and she's powerless. But Jim Shooter said... No, no, no. It says, this woman has been wiping out galaxies, and you're basically just taking her powers and lobotomizing her. And he's told him she has to die. The, the penalty here has to be death. And Jim's right. He is, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I, I love Jean, but that it had to end with her death. Right. There was, uh, well, to add, because the, the Shire, like you said, I mean, 
they would demand something. A, a, right. a, a species that powerful, you know, and, you know, uh, galaxy spanning, you know, would, would want her head. Right, yeah. absolutely. Well, remember, several of the planets that had died by at her hand was in their empire. Yep, right. So. Yeah. And I do believe Lalandra went to read, was, uh, appeared to read Richards first. In regard, um, when they were going to... Uh, I, I want to say they go to Richards first yeah. because he's the most intelligent human on the planet. and He's it, the point of contact for a, Earth. And isn't yeah. he kind of like, the, you know, that is not my sandbox. I can't play in that. You need to talk to Charles. Right. <laughs> right. And, and, and uh, then the rest is history. All right. So Days of Future Past, um, X-Men 200, Trial of Magneto. Uh, what else we got for great stories? Because I have a doozy here. I have one that wasn't part of the X-Men book. Did y'all read Marvels? I did, yes. actually. That is yes. a great story. Do you remember the spotlight that they had on X-Men when Phil Shelton, I think that was his name. Yes, Phil Shelton. Um, Sheldon. Sh what was his name? Sheldon. Sheldon, that's right. Thank you, uh, Madman. He gets home and finds this okay. little girl yep. in his basement. She's got these big eyes. I think that was the only thing about her yeah, that big made eyes her kind of bald. And she was bald. She had two little pigtails, was, was mostly bald, and she was shivering because she had been running from people who were trying to kill her. And the kids got attached to her, and yep. they were playing ball with her. And Alex Ross and Kurt Busiek did such a great job telling that story. But you remember when we talked about those moments and comments that brought you to tears? Yeah. When that little girl ran away and left them the note. Yeah, the note. Oh, oh yeah. my God. And yeah. I'm like, what kind of world do we live in? That was the whole point of that X-Men, like, uh, yeah. aside in that story. It was, and and, and, and it was it's great. like. What kind of world do we live in where there are people who have made a conscious decision to want to hurt a child? Yeah. And all I could think, and I'm not even going to front, all I could think about was that little girl, even though I knew it was fiction, all I could think about was that little girl out there just running for her own survival with no one to turn to. Cold and alone, yeah. Exactly, and... And the one refuge she did have because she cared enough about them that she didn't want that to be brought on them. And being as young as she was, she had the wherewithal and the understanding yep, to understand know what bring, was She was bringing occur. danger to them. Yeah. Exactly. So she would, so she would ra rather sacrifice herself than allow the people who showed her love to yep. be harmed and i always wanted to see them do a follow-up story yeah. to find out what, what happened, happened to that her. child yeah. and that was the I'm, one that stuck out there i got another one but that was that was the one out of all the x-men stories i read that's the one that's the stayed and stuck with me the longest because it drove home why the x-men are out there why exactly. why their story has to be told so, even explains why magnate magneto is out there exactly so exactly this is in the four-part marvels that alex ross painted bingo yes. i gotta go back and reread that i don't remember this i, I believe that was that. issue number I three that was one of the most beautiful covers yeah. i've ever seen but i never i never read those because if i remember correctly when those first came out they hiked up in price so fast because oh yeah it was yeah well, they've come back earth now but i've just never got around to well it was it was really experimental for a comet because it was like fully painted graphics yeah. right 
um, which is and I that, and I'm going to say that paved the way for DC to do Kingdom Come, which is another great story. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, so we have to talk about both of those series sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so one that I have, and I I really love this story, and in fact. I think this is in trade paperback. Guys, go find it for Halloween. If, Olivia, I'm going to check your all shelves, see if you have it. Um, no one ever talks about this, and it's such a great story. Um, from X-Men issues 161 through 167, The, the Brood, Brood Saga. Uh, oh, yeah. That is, yeah. Um, so The Brood, and I didn't realize this, originally show up in like X-Men 155, and... They were just basically described as like miscellaneous alien henchmen. So Dave Carcom just do them as ugly as he could. And then it took like, what, six or seven issues before they actually become a major threat. Right. But so Ooh, many... Is that the one with, with Death Bird and the issue that everyone thought Colossus got killed in? Yeah. Oh, this, yeah. I mean, this is such a great That's series. When, that was when I started reading X-Men regularly. So, so many great things happen in this because... Um, Chris Claremont digs real deep into um, Nightcrawler and his religion. And there's a whole conversation, I think, with either him and Scott or him with Colossus about that. Um, Peter and Kitty start right. uh, their little romance thing. Um, it also has, I, and I want to say this is the really great scene where there's a moment that Wolverine can kill the, the queen. He can end the brood threat. And, uh, and everyone was mad because he didn't do it. And he got ported out. Right. And you're just like, oh, why did you do that? Because remember, he goes off on Scott about, yeah. why did you do that? I could have ended it right here. Right. I'm trying to think, what else is... Uh, go ahead. As Wolverine says, I'm the best there is at what I do. And what I do isn't very nice. Right. Yep. And I mean, you know, he's one of those ones where he, he can... He sees what has to be done and he does it. There's a, there's a story in Ultimate X-Men about, about him in the alternate universe that... He goes to meet with a kid who had just whose mutant powers had just manifested, and the kid's powers he generates poison everywhere he goes, and he was and just being around him kills people, and he was sent to talk to to take care of the kid because of his healing factor. So he basically goes in, shares a beer with the kid, and then we never see the kid again. They don't show him kill him, but you know he did. Right. Well, and the thing that's really great about this. And you can argue that um, Claremont stole heavily from Alien in this because oh, he, yeah. he probably did. <laughs> yeah. Because you had the same thing where all the X-Men are being infected by seeds from the brood, except yeah. for Wolverine. Right. Um, his healing factors and his adamantium has fought it off. And so he's now torn of, well, I, I have to kill my teammates because the brood, I can't let the brood have their bodies, their powers, or they're going to be unstoppable and they're already pretty badass now. Right. But who better to do it? Right. Who exactly. better? Exactly. <laughs> right. I mean, well, that's, what he's, that's what he's bred for. Right. But even then, you see that he's having this issue like, God, I got to kill my friends. How do I do this? <laughs> you know? With your claws, silly. Right, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that was X Men 166 through one, uh, 161 through 167, the Brood Saga. I want to say that's in trade. Um, I'm going to go look because I need to reread this one. I, I just. Re I'm going to look it up, and if I find it, I will uh, drop you a line and let you know. I just remember reading that story, just being blown away by how awesome it was. Yeah, because like we was, we, that was when we were still in high school. Right. Well, you have to remember, too, everything Claremont did um, for the X-Men was just fantastic. Even though I hated the whole life, death, one and two, when he had them off in mm -hmm. the Australian Outback, uh, it was pretty obvious that you knew when Claremont had run out of ideas. Because he would kind of like ship them off to the ends of the earth. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I got an yeah. idea. Everybody get back. <laughs> and he'd pull the that team back. To a, that was a little bit of a down period when they were in the Australian Outback. <laughs> right. Yeah. And everything like that. 
What, what else you guys got for great stories? You got two so minutes. What, what, what am I like? You know, we can touch on it real fast is, is in, in the later years, I guess it was probably about, what, about 10 years ago when Scott started drifting more towards being like Magneto. And that was a great character turn for him when he started, oh, yeah. you know, when, when, the, when the extinction of his race was upon him and he really started more siding with Magneto. I really liked that version of Scott Summers. It, it, I always knew that he was, he was a bad dude, whether he was given credit or not, but this really showed what he was capable of when the chips were down, when he needed to do what needed to be done. Well, that he would do what, anything necessary. You, you know that that's coming for him, too, when he starts dating Emma Frost. You're thinking, oh, yeah. oh you, are, yeah. you are literally in bed with the enemy right now. Literally. Right. Um, and, and actually, since you said that, Tommy, one of the best X-Men stories uh, in a long time um, is one of the more recent ones, uh, AVX. That's the one when the Phoenix Force comes back. Oh, yeah. A, <laughs> that is a great story. And, and basically, he tells the Avengers to step aside. This is, this is our problem. What do you mean we'll we need some it. special cover? <laughs> Cyclops was always lame. No, he wasn't. No, Cyclops. I mean, in the beginning, when he was, you know, I will agree, the early He was ate up. He was what, what uh, Madman and I we used to see in the Air Force. I mean, in the military, he was ate up. He was all by the book, all yeah. kissing Professor X's butt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you just wanted to see him just go, not be by the book and just be badass because you knew he had it in him, oh, but yeah. he never did it. So mm-hmm. what is the story? I'm trying to, oh, 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 okay. So you have AVX with um, the Phoenix Force coming back to Earth and the X-Men are like, we're going to take care of it this time, you know, because it's going to inhabit one of our own. And then the Avengers are showing up and thinking, you know what this force does. You know what happened the last time it was here. You need to hand it over to us. And Scott's like, I don't think so. Oh, exactly. He's like, this is a mutant matter. We'll handle it. Um, Which, after that, leads right into all new X-Men. Because that's the one where Beast sends back, um, sends the kids from the past into the future. Right. He says, you need to let your future self see you now to remind him what he stands for. Right. It was another great series, too. Yeah, uh, that was a really great series. I didn't finish reading it, but what I read of that was really, really good. I another it. great storyline that doesn't get a lot of um, that doesn't really get a lot of um, press, but was very good was the introduction of the Morlocks. Oh yes, I do like the Morlocks. And uh, the art was done by Paul Smith, who was doing double duty on X Men and Doctor Strange back at that time. The artwork was phenomenal, and it ended when. And with X Men, was it X Men two? Um, not two hundred, but um, when um, Scott and Madeline Pryor got married, everyone thought she was a gene. She oh, was a clone yeah. of Gene. Well, and that also led up to the sequel to the first Wolverine miniseries with uh, Mariko Yoshida. See, that's the whole problem, though. As great as the Morlocks were, uh, that whole time frame of finding out that OG. That Jean wasn't dead. She was buried in a cocoon at the barrier of the ocean, and Madeline Pryor's this whole, you know, clone resurrection thing. Plus, I really hated the way they handled the Morlocks in X Men Three. Yeah, um, they they reduced them to just being a bunch of gang members living in a church. Where in the comics, they had this whole underground network. Exactly, and they and they started out. They kidnapped. We were talking about them earlier. Angel. Yep. And they kidnapped Angel, and then he turned around to being a catalyst for a major makeover, which was long overdue, and which a lot of people love when they did X Factor. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I had a thought right there, and I can't remember. Anyway, that's our X-Men. Uh, you guys got any closing comments, remarks, things we want to talk about? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, we could probably go on with, about X-Men for quite some time because there's a lot of stuff we didn't touch, su- such as like Inferno, you know, Follow the Mutants, Executioner's Song, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, but see, those stories all sucked. The only X-Men story of the 90s that really had a major impact was don't the Fatal Attraction storyline. Okay. okay. <laughs> that was Fatal Attractions. Yeah, because you, you talk about not liking Cyclops. One of the reasons to not like Cyclops was when Madeline was when Jean Grey showed back up, and he left Madeline and his son to go back to Jean. <laughs> that was yeah. messed up. Yes, that was that was jacked up. That was yeah. jacked up, man. All righty. Uh, so we want to remind everyone: Mad Men does Shock Monkey Radio every Tuesday from six to seven p.m. here on um, FXBG Public Radio. We do have our Facebook group. Um, facebook.com slash lost in a long box and our sister groups as well on facebook batman yesterday today and forever realm of superheroes comics and pop culture and gather together the greatest superhero teams um, send us some email at lost in a long box at gmail.com because olivia well no not olivia tommy is lonely um huh. until next time everyone have a good week we will see you next week oh yeah good night everyone good night, everyone bye